0: to the bloke and the bird show as we get ready to shift into formula one summer doldrums thankfully we have a really good race to talk about
1: well yeah i think we're gonna be talking about this race for a long time um for having a three-week break prior and a three-week break after Hungary is standing out as a shining star in crazy race
0: well you know if you really think about it The last two races leading into the summer break have been really good races that did not play along to the script.
1: Well, truly, it didn't. Um, I read an article that I wasn't planning on talking about that says that we get good racing when Mercedes can't get off the line.
0: In a way, it kind of is, because everybody writes that script of Mercedes is going to win, they're going to run away with it. And Lewis seemed to be setting up for that exact scenario, especially after his qualifying performance, that Mercedes was going to run away, and then we have the exact opposite happen. And this this past race in particular, it was a big exact opposite. True. I mean, at least Silverstone at the end, we ended up with the result everybody expected, just not the way everybody expected
1: yeah, was, the story yeah. ended the way, you know, the happy ending happened, but we got there in a roundabout way. And I think in a lot of ways that was a great recovery story in Silverstone. Hungry, I think we threw the script out the window and rewrote everything, and of course that's making every pundit, not to mention the fact from the lack of news that's going on during Quiet Season, um, talking about, have we changed the game, and you know, what's gonna change now for Vettel and Ferrari now that they're really in contention for the the world championship?
0: Well I wouldn't quite say that they're in contention yet. Well regardless. You
1: won't. But Mika Hekkenen,
0: definitely
1: Hekkenen. Whatever. How many K's can one have in his name? Mika A says, couple of the
0: extra Ks are on display at the McLaren Technical Center. Just in case you were wondering.
1: I think they are. Mika has said that he believes that Vettel is a real threat for the World Championship, the Drivers' Championship. Now, let's just be very frankly honest. Mercedes has won 1-2 for the better part of half the season. Mm -hmm. They are not threatened on the Constructors' Championship at all at this point. Yeah, But the Drivers' Championship appears, at least mathematically, to be up in the air. And the reason I say at least mathematically is this is the numbers as they stand today. Vettel is solidly in third place. And where by this point last year there was such a difference between one, two, and then down from two to three, there was no real chance that three would have been in contention for two or or one. There's only 40-something points that separate Vettel from the number one spot.
0: I think where the risk is isn't so much for the championship. I think Lewis has enough of a head on his shoulders that even if he has a rough start in Spa and Monza, he will be able to pull it together. Where I question it, and where I, the, the position that I think is truly at risk after this weekend, is number two. Mm. because Nico's performance that, at, at this race was really bad. I mean, yes, he had that number two slot. He had that number two slot for the majority of the race, but he never challenged for first at all.
1: Well, and that's that has been Ross biggest problem.
0: I mean, th- this was an opportunity that he could have gone into that break with the lead. And, and, and especially after that drive-through penalty that Lewis had, he could have walked into that lead with a boatload of points.
1: Mm-hmm. And he but gave ins- it up. But instead, he wound up behind Lewis yet again.
0: Now, the one thing you, we do have to give credit to, to Nico, and very few people have, have picked up on this, but this was a race, and possibly one of the only races we have seen That Nico has passed Lewis on the track.
1: True. There have not been many passes from... He
0: hasn't. He hasn't done it on the track. Nico passed Lewis on it. And Lewis argued about it that that Nico cut him. But arguably, Nico had the line. The the, the stewards didn't have any problem with it. And Lewis ended up in the gravel because of it.
1: Right.
0: Lewis had a great drive to recover from it. Mm -hmm. Until his next incident. But... Nico, for once, the only time that we have arguably ever seen, he managed to pass Lewis on the track. And, and I think that needs to be acknowledged because nobody else has.
1: Well, I, I think you're right. I think that you're very right. I think that Nico deserves the acknowledgement for that. But by the same token, the semicolon, but Lewis, while admittedly, had a bad day. Yeah. He was not driving up to his normal standards and all of this. And the mistakes he made were just downright stupid.
0: Well, before we jump into that, let's wrap up Ferrari really quick. Okay. Okay? Because there are actually some very key stats that that need to get tossed out here. Obviously, we had Kimi failing out with a mechanical failure yet again after what could have been a 1-2 for them. But... This is the first time Ferrari has won a Hungarian Grand Prix since Michael Schumacher did it in two thousand four. Okay. Okay. Vettel had never won a Hungarian Grand Prix, which when you think about all the places that he has won, the number of victories he has, that's kind of staggering that there was actually a track out there he has not won on. You're right. Um so he had never won a Hungarian Grand Prix. And then the other stat that we'd heard quite a bit is that this was his 41st win, which puts him um, tied with Ayrton Senna's record. Mm-hmm. And then the last piece, and this, I think, ties back into your going into to Lewis here. It's the first time in the V6 era of engines, the, the current era, that Mercedes has not been on the podium.
1: It, it, and that's pretty staggering, if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it's really causing a lot of pundits to start thinking, has the tide started to shift now? But the reality is, Lewis made some arguably rookie mistakes.
0: Well, do, do we want to hear some, some comments from him uh, yeah. in his, his post-race uh, talk with Jenny Gao? Sure. Okay, let's start with this one.
2: Well, Lewis Hamilton, that wasn't quite the race that uh, I think some were predicting. Um, You were out in front, you were behind, you were all over the place. What was going on in your head through that race?
3: Uh, Exactly exactly that. I was all over the place. Um, (laughs) I really don't really have any any words to to explain what happened today, but it was a a really bad performance day for myself. Mistakes all over the place, really. Um, I don't know if it was lack of uh, concentration or what, but today... I mean, I, I pushed and I kept trying. I never gave up right until this, the finish line. But I just, there was so many obstacles along the way. Um, and it's kind of like you you could, you had a choice of two different uh, two different directions and each time I chose, it was the wrong one. So, um, you know, I think take a lot from today, can learn a lot from today and uh, take it on, Jim. Well, he's
2: trying
1: his best to not let it get into his head.
0: Yeah, and he needs to, I mean, this, this is not how you want to, go into this break.
1: No, because he doesn't Um, want to beat himself up for the next
0: three weeks. But you've also, you got to give him a little bit of credit here because as quickly as he got bumped back and ended up in 10th to recover up to what? uh, 4th or 5th before the next incident with Ricardo to end up Back down outside of the points and still come up in six. Not only come up in six, but to end up gaining points on the number two, well, I who think, ran in second most of the race.
1: I think that that's the most notable part of this race. If you know, it's funny. Uh, our favorite longtime listener and most commenter, uh, Phil, posted up. I can't wait to hear your your thoughts on this race. And all I could respond to him was. Thoughts. So very many thoughts. Yeah. And when it all comes down to it, I was, I mean, I could stutter over the fact that Mercedes was not on a podium at all. Yeah. I'm like...
0: And it wasn't mechanical failure. I mean, they they finished. It
1: was was driver error. Um, So there's that piece. And then you turn around and... You would think that if Mercedes wasn't on the podium, that there might have been a flip-flop in Mm 1-2. Or, you know, Lewis had had such, I mean, quite frankly, he had an awful race. And yet, he had an outstanding race. And that's what I think is such the the draw to F1, is that he had a bad day. He had rookie-level mistakes. Penalties. I've never seen Lewis get penalties like that. Well,
0: it's the second time this season he's gotten a penalty.
1: And it drove off the track in the gravel and recovered. Yeah. And it was, and recovered, was did this, and recovered. Dropped back to 13th place and recovered. And he drove his little bottom off. <laughs> and you can't argue that this guy is a phenomenal driver when you you could have had it easy. But if you got off the line right, if you could have blocked Vettel the right way, he would have been out in front in clean air, and everybody would have expected him to dominate. However, Vettel takes off on the line on him. He gets pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, and he's fight. he fought for seven, uh, 48 laps of that race and fought hard. And how is that not exactly what we want F1 to be?
0: Yeah. Well, let's go back to those starts for a second. Because this is now the second race in a row that Mercedes has had truly awful starts, and the folks in the second row have jumped past them. Right. Combine that with when we go to Spa, when we come out of the brakes, the whole starting process has changed.
1: Correct.
0: Now, we know that Mercedes spent time this weekend working on their spa procedures. Okay. So do we think that that took away from the start in Hungary? Or do we think that this is a sign of a weakness? And that, yeah, they're going to be struggling with this for a couple more races until they figure this out.
1: I I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think that it's definitely a sign of the chink in the armor, Mm -hmm. but they announced this change in Spa that was going to happen for Spa right before Silverstone. Mm -hmm. I wonder, honestly, and nobody's ever going to tell me the truth, if Mercedes, in trying to be ahead of the curve, wasn't trying to figure out what that change was gonna to do to affect things. And we're gonna see Spa have a good start again because they've been mentally in their place of this midseason shift. That's my theory. Um, you know, could Nico and Lewis be in the simulator practicing the new start and that affecting them because they're yeah. practicing something different and not practicing what they have, you know, Mm and they're bogging down. It could, I mean, or it could be a chink in the armor. I don't know yet. We'll find out when we go to Belgium.
0: We're going to. I think this year, more than any other year, Belgium has the possibility to be a turning point in the season.
1: Oh, it truly does. But it was also a turning point last year. Cause wasn't it Belgium that Nico ran through the two chicanes?
0: No, that was Monza.
1: It was Monza that it was. It was Belgium, Belgium was that where they,
0: they had the impact.
1: It was the impact that, that Nico then, hit me, and then Monza where he ran through the two chicanes, and we right. always kind of thought that was makeup. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely the next two races that become turning points in the the championship and in the season. Last year, remember, Nico was leading at this point.
0: Yeah. So let's, a, a last bit of a reflection from Lewis before we move on.
3: Well, so it is generally a little bit easier when you go into from pole position and you win the race and you have a much easier um, Sunday. So to come away from this, knowing that today was one of the worst performances I've put in for a long, long time, um, I guess just shows that we're all still human. So. Well,
1: he's right. We are all still human. Yeah. And I, I think my hope, you know, when I mentally want to, you know, channel to Lewis what to think about, I want him to not mentally destroy his season like he's done so many other times. I, I've used this phrase here recently that you're your own worst enemy sometimes. And I think that really applies to Lewis. He's brilliant as a driver, he's brilliant. Yeah. And yeah. As long
0: as he doesn't psych himself out.
1: As long as he stops getting in his own head. And I think that if we can make that happen, that you know, if we can all send, send him that mental energy that says, get out of your own head, he will be brilliant.
0: Well, it wasn't just, though, Lewis that made some questionable choices and, and, and had some issues. Strategy-wise in general, mm-hmm. Mercedes had some big failings. I mean, it it truly seemed like Nico and his strategy team, and I know they they share between Nico and Lewis, but it seemed like Nico and his strategy team was focused more on what Lewis was doing than they were on winning the race.
1: I noticed that in part of the conversations was... What tire is Lewis on, and what's Lewis's strategy? Like, and he was second, and Lewis was back in like eighth at that point. Yeah. And it's like you're not racing Lewis today.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I realize they're neck and neck for the championship. I get all of that. But is Nico so psyched out by Lewis's dominance that even with a six grid difference between them? he's still racing the aura of Lewis instead of racing Vettel, where he actually should have been? I
0: I think that was some of it. Um, And and one of the things that we really questioned was the decision that was made under the safety car Mm -hmm. to, instead of putting Nico on the faster tires, the soft tires, they kept him on the harder tires. And it seemed like if you were trying for the win, you put them on the faster tires knowing that that Sebastian hadn't come in. He was running on older tires, he was running on the harder tires. Right. Take that opportunity, come in, and as soon as, you know, you don't know how long that safety car is gonna be out, but take that opportunity to get out there and get ahead. And oh, by the way, since you're running the softer tires under the safety car, you're not wearing them down. So you can get a bit further with them.
1: Well, there's that and the fact that under a safety car, because you're going slower, the medium tires required more time to get to temperature. And so you would, the softer tires didn't. And so you wouldn't have lost as much temperature under the safety car conditions on the softer tire.
0: So let, let's get some comments from Toto Wolf. Um, he's uh, talking with Alan McNish after the race. The first is just his overall impression of what happened from Mercedes.
3: Tell me what happened. Crappy day in the office. And,
0: and I think that sums it up pretty well.
1: <laughs> Do you know how many articles are titled "Toto, Crappy Day in the Office? He
0: wasn't the only one who, who said that, though. There were quite a few folks from Mercedes who were repeating that line. And they're true. I mean, completely correct. It, it was bad choices all around.
1: I, Before you give his next quote, mm-hmm. I want to take a little aside. One of the things that I absolutely love about Toto is his succinct ability to sum up the situation in that one line that's so impregnated with some general self-deprecating humor and it's he's good at it he's a good front man
0: you know on that note we should also acknowledge and this is something that I'm pretty sure that U.S. audiences did not see because um, the other person who tends to be very frank with his comments, who is not tied to Mercedes, is Maurizio Arrivabene over at Ferrari. Oh yeah. Who um, I believe it was during the podium ceremony had an interview with Tom Clarkson. I didn't capture that that um, that uh, that sound, uh, but one of the comments that was made, and at the time we kind of looked at each other and went, "Huh." Maurizio, all of a sudden, in his comments, goes, yeah, and, and I just want to say that I'm really not into spaghetti, but I prefer pizza Diablo or some some kind of pizza, which is this really spicy pizza. And the two of us looked at each other and went, what the hell is he talking about? Where did that I, come from? I
1: thought he was giving you know, his PA a yeah, know, so, dinner order. <laughs> yeah, somebody
0: make the order for dinner. Well, it turns out that actually his remarks were directed at Mercedes... Other fairly frank commentator. Um, Nikki Lauda. Thank you. All of a sudden, <laughs> it, the blank came. It was directed at Nikki Lauda, who apparently made comments after Austria. Um, over Ferrari's performance, something along the lines of, you know, it's not Mercedes' problem if Ferrari's too, if the folks over at Ferrari are too busy uh, playing with their spaghetti, then they go and tune up their cars.
1: Was that Austria or Australia?
0: It was Austria, okay. that he apparently said that. But all that aside, getting back to the tire strategy and, and the poor choices that happened there, Alan McNish after the race question he, he called toto out on this so so let's hear that answer
3: why did you go onto another medium tire with him with 25 laps to go that was an un- another unfortunate situation because our default tire was the medium tire uh it was 28 laps or so to the end and that was not that was too much for the soft and when the virtual safety car was being deployed it was just a lap where we would have converted the default tire from the hard to the soft but the soft wasn't ready
0: and do you think that uh, this has given a little bit of momentum to these guys? Because what it looks like from my point of view, when you're at the front, you're dominant. When you're behind, then there's
3: maybe a few cracks in Mercedes. Yeah, absolutely. You can see that. And uh, they deserve to win today. They had the fastest car and the best pace. They could have even done a one-two if Kimi wouldn't have uh, had the electrical problem. So you need to acknowledge their pace. And this is a great team. And, uh, and uh, yeah, they deserved it today. No, thank you very much, Toto. Well,
1: I mean, he's not being a sore loser.
0: No, he's not, and he acknowledges that it was very impressive what what happened there. I mean, Ferrari put in a really good performance there, and he just kind of touched on their decision making being kind of questionable. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm, I'm not sure I agree with the, well, that was our default tire because we didn't think it could last. Because I would think once that virtual safety car came out, that should have changed the calculations. That virtual safety car restricted your speed. It slowed everything down. It changes your tire wear numbers. That should have changed everything at that point.
1: But I thought that even if they had changed out the tire on the tire warmer right then, it would have taken another lap before the tire was going to be worn.
0: It would have, but again, let's go back to, as soon as that virtual safety car came out, that should have changed all the calculations. Especially knowing that there's the possibility, and so far it's happened every time, that virtual safety car comes out and it's been converted to an actual safety car. We haven't seen a virtual safety car come out by itself, I don't believe. It's always been converted to an actual safety car. There's
1: that point too. And I don't know. I I don't know because I don't know what contingencies are in their calculations. I really don't. Um, I mean, nobody does. It's called strategy. Yeah. But I think that I I, I want to say I think that there might be an error in their calculations. They've made a few other choice changes that I don't agree with. That you know they may have a they may not be carrying the one somewhere. I think. Yeah. It's
0: you know, as, as we jump around, we really need to acknowledge. Red Bull, and their double podium.
1: I know!
0: Between Danny Kvyat, who also had an incredible drive, Mm -hmm. from the very start where it was, I want to say, within the first two turns, he flat-spotted one of his tires and flat-spotted it so bad that the vibration, when he radioed in and reported back to the team, you could hear it on the radio that he was getting bounced around. And they kept him out there on this tire. I know.
1: Flat spot another one, so you'll even it out. <laughs>
0: then he gets told, and I, I still think it was the right decision, but he gets told, get out of the way for Ricardo because you're not able to pass. I think it was Perez he was fighting with. It was either Perez or Massa he was fighting with. Get out of the way, let Ricardo have a go at it. And Ricardo does. Mm-hmm. And Kvyat still ends up in second place.
1: I know. I know. I think it's incredible.
0: Combine that with Ricardo, who has contact with not one, but both Mercedes drivers, has to get a new wing, damage the aerodynamics of the car altogether. He comes in third. I know. The smile was back.
1: The smile was definitely back. That was another headline I wrote. I read.
0: if you have not been over and liked us over and checked out the facebook page over at uh, the bloke and the bird show you need to go check it out we've got some video especially if you're in the states you probably did not see this um during his post-race interviews in the pen uh, dan ricardo dropped his trophy and dented it
1: <laughs> he said was. he
0: customized there. it
1: he said it was a very plain trophy, and now it has some interest. Yes.
0: So you'll, you'll have to go and, and, and watch that video. It's not of him actually dropping the trophy. It's of Jenny Gao teasing him over dropping said trophy. Uh, but it's a few seconds. It's worth going to check that out. And like us while you're over there.
1: Uh, that'd be nice. That would be... I, I would like a like. <laughs> um, while we're talking about Red Bull Team, just... This is my... Little piece. Helmet Marco has already come out and said, Don't expect the same from us in spa.
0: You know, something I, I wouldn't expect Red Bull to be challenging like I, I think their next chance to challenge like this is going to be Singapore.
1: Right, because he's already said spa and Monza aren't going to be the same for them. Yeah. Um, and so that's got its own set of interesting side benefits.
0: A- along the same lines, you know, let, let's quickly acknowledge. Uh, McLaren with their best result all season with Alonzo up in 5th and Button up in ninth.
1: Okay, can we just stop for a second and take a deep breath and remind everyone that a McLaren that has struggled all year long that they have literally <laughs> were out of the points for as far as the eye could see beat Lewis.
0: Beat both Mercedes.
1: Beat...
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I think when we talk about, you know, changing the script and that, you know, everything was on the table. And basically it felt like you took all the drivers, put them in a hat, shook it up really, really fast and pulled them back out. And that's who how the order wound up. The fact that Fernando was... One grid, one spot in front of Lewis amazes me.
0: Now, before the McLaren fans, and I count myself as a McLaren fan, before the McLaren fans jump up and down and go "woohoo, McLaren's back," let's temper this a little bit because Fernando's fastest lap, being in fifth place, his fastest lap compared to the Ferrari's fastest lap. Or, or, or his ultimate, his, his finish time, I'm sorry, not as fast as lap. Fernando's finishing time compared to the Ferrari's finish time was two minutes off the Ferrari. That does not say to me, at the end of the race, you're two minutes behind the, the first place car. Even if you're in fifth place, that doesn't say to me, you're back. That says to me, you finished the race and you did it cleanly.
1: Two minutes?
0: It was two. Their finishing time was two minutes behind the Ferrari's finishing time.
1: Wow. I mean, I just didn't realize that Lewis was that far back.
0: Keep in mind, the safety car broke up a lot. Um, Because the new rules under the safety car, they don't wait for lapped cars to rejoin. So Charlie Whiting can... Yeah. What?
1: You can finish your thought.
0: Am I wrong with my with the two minutes? Okay, yeah. what was it?
1: 49 seconds.
0: 49 seconds. Okay, I had heard that there was a two-minute difference. So I take that back. <laughs> but even still, they're 49 seconds back after all the, the safety cars and all the other stuff that was going... And, and it may have been that, that when the safety car came out, that's that's what... Got them to, open, to to close it back up again. But there was at, some, at one point a two minute gap between Fernando and first place. Wow. Um. I I know that had come into play at at one point. Uh, Mer uh, Honda did not give them full power like we ha- it was originally reported. Mm. So they were still running under a crippled ERS system. And apparently that decision came down after Fernando's failure. Um, it was an electrical problem, and they were afraid to risk it. So they they. Turned every, they kept everything turned down again. And now we go into Spa and Monza, which are power circuits. This is not the light at the end of the tunnel. As great as this result is for them, this is unfortunately not the light at the end of the tunnel.
1: No, it's not. But I will say this from start to finish, he made up 10 grid panel. Let me try that in English 10 grid spaces.
0: This is what happens when you have a race with a lot of incidents, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and you drive clean. Right. So should we go into the incident situation?
1: I think we have to.
0: You know, the two things that I have heard about this race... I've heard one group turning coming out and saying this was a fantastic race, the script wasn't followed, Mercedes got jumped, somebody else won, nothing that anybody expected to happen happened. And how awesome is that? And then the other thing I've heard is this has been an absolutely awful race. The driving standards were terrible. We had all of these incidents. We had Pastor Maldonado of all, th- all people get not one, not two, but three separate penalties. We had Race leaders like Lewis get himself a penalty. We had all this contact. This was a terrible race.
1: <laughs> and they wonder why Formula One needs to somehow be fixed because nobody can agree with what's actually wrong.
0: This is why you don't talk to the fans. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> in, in all honesty, I didn't necessarily have a problem with the incidents and the contact. They were pushing. They were working. They were moving. They were doing what they could. There were some incidents that, in all honesty, were absolutely inexcusable. No, not. not just him. He wasn't the only one who got in trouble for speeding under a safety car. And to be clear, despite all the confusion that has come out, it was speeding under the actual safety car that these penalties were handed out. This was not speeding under the virtual safety car. You can't speed under the virtual safety car. That's the point of the virtual safety car. Right. Your speed is automatically locked in to the whatever the designated speed is. So this was speeding under the actual safety car where that lock is removed. But between the speeding under the safety car, the speeding in the pit lane, passing under the safety car, those were errors that th- there's no call for that
1: So for any th- of these drivers. What do you think? pastor has to say
0: for himself well for once we actually have some sound from pastor maldonado so let's go ahead and share that for starters
3: yeah quite quite tough it tough. seems like uh the studios today were very strict you know very very tough on on, uh, on driving uh were they wrong to do that no maybe not wrong but it was different to 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 the pass, you know, especially from the beginning of the season, they allowed us to to race more uh, body body and and you know it was more open to 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 fight in in the track than today, maybe for any reason. But uh, yeah, it was the same for everyone today. So, yeah, disappointed for for the result. So wait,
1: did I hear that correctly? Did Pastor Maldonado say that it wasn't that he drove any differently, it was just that he got caught more?
0: Well, for starters, you got to remember, Pastor's default excuse is that it was somebody else. It is always somebody else. Now, his incident, his actual collision incident with Perez, you know, they were probably both at fault there. Mm -hmm. There was... Neither one of them were were really giving each other room, but it is what it is. They they both kept racing, and okay, fine. That was one incident. The other stuff, he had control of that. Those rules are clear.
1: (laughs) It's not like they said, don't speed under the safety car unless
0: you drive a Lotus. (laughs) Well, it's not just that, but it's also the, he didn't just speed under, speed in the pit lane. He sped under the pit lane while the safety car was out. So no matter what, you had to be going slower. (laughs) It didn't matter.
1: I just don't understand how he justifies in his mind that it's everybody else's fault. When it's his foot controlling the pedal.
0: Well, let's let's get some comments from David Cothard, Formula F1 driver, who you like so much.
1: I do. He's adorable.
0: Alan McNish, which for those who don't know, besides being now, a, he, he is retired a, as a driver. Um, he's a former Formula 1 driver. He's currently a correspondent for, for uh, BBC's F1 coverage. He's a three-time Le Mans winner. But he has also been a race steward for Formula One races. He's done it several times. So he's got some experience in this field. Okay, so what do they have? To say? Let, let's listen to them.
3: You know, I found myself in a situation at the end of my career in 2008. I kept getting involved in little incidents and thinking, why does that nutter do that? Why did that nutter do that? But, After about five or two. six races, I went... <laughs> Actually, there's a common denominator here, you know, so there's a point where you have to look at yourself. Yeah. You can't, it takes two to tango, of course, and, you know, I take you know, and, and value uh, Alan's opinion on that. But, you know, Pasteur has had a lot of incidents and you he, he can't just say that, you know, the stewards <laughs> were allowing us to be more open in the past because that was a potentially race incident, race ending incident, that, that type great. of contact. So, even before he gets to the other mistakes later in the race i think the thing
0: is that the stewards from a steward point of view you can't take other incidents into account you've got to take that particular one in its total isolation however we're all human and uh, in, from that point of view if you do 10 incidents then you're certainly if the, the 11th one isn't you know it's going to go one way or the other more than likely it's going to go in against you and that's exactly what happened in this occasion i mean that that puts it right there you you, you give yourself a reputation and he's earned this reputation.
2: Well,
1: he certainly has. But it's apparently this season, it's not just him. Both the Lotus drivers are, what, halfway to a race man?
0: Well, pa- Pastors have, he's got six points on his license, and 12 you end up with, with a, a, a ban in the next race. Grosjean's got it also. Now, some of Grosjean's points, unlike Pastors, some of Grosjean's points, because of the way the rule system is set up now, aren't necessarily his fault because he's got a couple of points from some unsafe releases and you got to remember that an unsafe release he's waiting on the guidance for the team on that one and the FIA in their infinite wisdom and and I say that with all sarcasm it goes with it, has decided in the event of an unsafe release, they not only penalize the team, even though the team has control of when the car goes, but they penalize the driver as well. So he's got penalty points from unsafe releases. Wow. And, and that I don't think is fair to the driver. I, I get turning around and, and giving a driver uh, either a drive-through or, a, time, or, or a, a position penalty based on that because, again, the team has some impact on that, and bumping the driver down in their position impacts the team as well. But turning around and then giving a driver points on their license, that I don't agree with, for this instance.
1: Right. I I agree there. Um, I know that the logic behind it was, if you know that there's going to be a team impact, you will pay more attention to the unsafe releases, but I think that it... The driver points, in my mind, should be things that are completely within the control of the driver.
0: Yes. You know, to, to further on the Maldonado conversation, and we've asked this question before of at what point does a team turn around and go, the money you bring us, as big as that check is, isn't worth the amount of money we lose in the damage and the amount of money we lose in the points. Um, Eddie Jordan had commented on this, and and he said that his feeling was, yes, at some point you you sit down with the driver and you tell them they've got to get it under control, they've got to start thinking about it. His approach, it's kind of, I hadn't really thought of it this way. But his approach got to the point that the driving would get was so bad, and the, the money lost from these points was so bad that it was actually amounting to theft. Oh. Because they were stealing by by having these incidents and losing these positions, they were stealing points from not only themselves but also from the team. And as a result of stealing those points, you were stealing money from the team.
1: An interesting way to, to look
0: at it. it. It's a very interesting way to look at it. I'm, I'm not completely sure. I, I mean, I, I get the spirit and I get the idea. I'm not completely sure I agree with that. Because when I think employee theft, I'm thinking employee takes it for themselves. In this case, it's employee has lost it. The employee is not benefiting from it either. Well, but yes... You are, you are costing money. You are becoming a lost leader by your carelessness.
1: Well, okay, employee theft. that That's an interesting concept. But I want you to think back to your retail days. Mm-hmm. I know that's a serious way back machine. Yeah. But do you remember how retail stores measured shrink? And it was a two-sided equation. Mm-hmm. It was... People walking out of the store with stuff, but there was also... The if it employee
0: was, carelessness and... Uh,
1: paperwork. You can yep. call it paperwork shrink. But it's, you know, something comes in and you don't mm. you don't inventory it right or you don't do something like that. They lumped that. In the retail world, those two things get lumped into the same number called shrink or theft. Mm-hmm. And that goes against the bottom line. I mean, there's a, a, there's a calculation for that. And yeah, it's not that the employee necessarily takes it for themselves, but any carelessness with the resources that as an employer, I give you to take care of results in theft from your employee. And I think that that's where, I think that's where Eddie's coming from, but it also, I think he uses the word because it's harsh. Because it will cause somebody to wake up and say, hey, wait a minute, this isn't just being careless, this is destructive. Yeah. And you don't think of carelessness as being
0: destructive. So, just to wrap up some of the other incidents that happened, um, going back to the beginning, there was a very bizarre incident, we've never seen this before, involving Felipe Massa at the start, who failed to line up properly. Right. Now, what happened was, if you notice when you see the overhead of the grid, there's a yellow line at, on the side of each one of the grid boxes. That line is supposed to indicate where the driver is supposed to line up their front tire. Masa was not properly lined up. And as a result of that, they did a, a second formation lap. And he received a penalty. Now, Masa claims that he couldn't see the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when when they showed the the... The reset after the formation lap, he was still behind it. Um, But they they let the race continue. Uh, Williams is investigating to try and figure out why Massa couldn't see. It it seems a little odd that he couldn't see this line. It's not like it's a little yellow blip. I mean, it goes out like almost halfway across the track. It's fairly significant. Right. So Williams is investigating that. There's talk that... Felipe is kind of a short guy. There's talk of possibly raising his seat up a little bit. Of course, that can have other knock-on effects. So, I mean, you stick your head up, there's more drag. So, seriously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why they, one of the reasons why they sit so low. It's also a safety concern that they put them so low.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, But Williams is taking a look at that to try and figure out what was going on. The other in fairly spectacular incident, that we have not talked about, was the one involving Nico Hulkenberg and his front wing dramatically letting go on the front straight.
1: That was wild to watch.
0: Yes. Um, The theory coming out of Force India regarding the cause of that is that it was due to the curbs, which, as you'll recall, Force India also attributed the... Uh, FP1 crash involving Perez, where he flipped the car, also on the curbs. Force India says that that they are adding some uh, reinforcement to the car Mm -hmm. to minimize this. You know, we also saw the camera pod fall off Kimmy's car. Right. You got to kind of want... Now, one of the things that... from. What it looks like on TV is it definitely looks like at most of the tracks, the curbs are lower and smoother this year than they have been in previous years. Mm-hmm. It, from what it sounds like, those similar lower and smoother, smoothing out process that happened everywhere else has not happened in Hungary.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: In all honesty, I don't think they should make any changes. The teams need to deal with this as a unique feature of the track, it doesn't make the cars unsafe. They need to figure out how to build their cars strong enough to handle this.
1: Or, and I know this has been thrown out by pundits before, using the curves to make your corners well, yeah. is not exactly within regulation.
0: Well, as long as you're not all four off.
1: Right, you're not all four off, but you are exceeding tra- track limits in the process to use those curbs. They are perfectly reasonable curves. Yeah. You might as well start to learn how to tighten up your tw- your corners a little bit.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: Any other incident information?
0: You know, no, I think that kind of wraps up everything that has happened on this race.
1: All right, I've got... Before we get into silly season, which is how we're going to finish up... Okay. I've got a few other... Random stories. Okay. And by random, I mean this is the random section of our world. Hmm. First, I want to give out a big shout out to our Toro Rosso driver, Carlos Sainz. Okay. Did you know that he has been the most overtaken Formula One driver this season?
0: You know, on one hand, that sounds really bad. But on the other, if you look at where he starts mm-hmm. and where he finishes, you know, he is a has been a fairly solid mid-pack driver when the car works, because that's he's been plagued by a lot of issues.
1: That that makes sense. Well, he has been passed this year alone 32 times. More than any other rival. He laughed when he got told this little statistic and said, I'm not sure I could be proud of that
2: record.
1: <laughs> um so the other interesting thing is that Saints is also ranked among the top four overtakers in 2015. This is according to build magazine and um, boss Franz toast is not only happy with Sands, but he's very happy with Verstappen too. He says that he believes that Toro Rosso has the most competitive pairing of any team in formula one. I thought that was High praise from his yeah from Big Boss. Could you imagine Formula One racing at the Olympics?
0: No, I can't.
1: Well, apparently, a few years ago, we couldn't imagine tennis at the Olympics either, and it's there. So now they're talking Formula One racing. Apparently, there's been longtime FIA official Lars Osterlund that it could be the mastermind for a push of Grand Prix gold. Uh, Crucially, F1's governing governing body became fully recognized by the International Olympic Committee in 2013 after FIA President Jean Todd initiated the process in 2010. So they've been working at this for a while. Now, it is most likely that the Olympics are considering the Green Formula E series to compete. Um, And not the full-on F1 series.
0: You know something? If the Olympics willingly took on an auto race of any sort, whether it was Formula E, Formula 1, whatever, they would need to drastically change how that race is run. Oh, yeah. Because, for starters... Either of those teams, or or either of those series, or any series for that matter, these teams are mainly commercial teams.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: They're not national teams. And along the same lines, the driver mix isn't huge. I mean, what are there? 20-some-odd, or or 40-some-odd drivers in Formula One. No, 20-some-odd drivers in Formula One. It's not hugely diverse.
1: No, it's not. And how could you have, you know, countries fielding a team for this?
0: Well, what you would have to do is you would have to say, okay, one driver per country, and open it up to other drivers, which means, you know, we could see the return of Narain Karthikainen.
2: We could. (laughs)
1: We could see the come back. That would
0: be awesome. And uh, Kamui. Yep, you could see Kamui. You could. I mean, there are drivers that could return, but given the option, or, or, or given the way the setup would would have to work, it would be: Do you have Kimi Raikkonen or Valtteri Bottas?
2: Well, okay,
1: but there's another piece of this that's actually very controversial and very difficult.
0: To All of, deal of it. With.
1: It's expensive enough to build an Olympic village. What if they're going to have to add a a formula-level racetrack? And I realize Formula E becomes a street race,
0: but... You, you still you still need a circuit that meets...
1: The safety standards and... Yeah. All, I mean, there, that is... It's one thing to, you know, have to build an entire water arena for all the swimming sports add to it you're gonna build a
0: racetrack. Well how, how about this one also? The Olympics and their sponsorship deals
2: mm-hmm.
0: 90% of the sponsors on the side of a Formula One car, let alone the fact that you're going to have athletes in an Olympic event with sponsors. right But 90% of the sponsors on a Formula One car for any team are not Olympic sponsors. And probably have no desire to pay the Olympics extortion fees for sponsorship. And as much as I love the Olympics, what the what the uh, Olympic Committee charges to sponsor to be a sponsor for the Olympics is pure and total extortion. Oh okay.
1: yeah. All right. So moving beyond the Olympics, why don't we fix Formula One? Again. Well, apparently, Juan Pablo Montoya has come out and said that he can. That he has a proposal to spice up Formula One,
0: quote straight away. Let me guess. It involves returning him from the exile of the Indy Car series and bringing him back to Formula One. It does not. Oh, okay.
1: And by the way, he r- raced in both NASCAR and Indy post his Formula One career.
0: I, I didn't recall. I. I haven't followed him that closely, I. I but I know he, he raced in Formula One. I think from, actually, it was for McLaren.
1: Yes. Because I saw
0: him in a Tag Warrior commercial. <laughs> on, on the Celebrity Summit.
1: Um, <laughs> he, he was a former McLaren and Williams driver. Okay. Just so you're aware. And has suggested that the tire and brake temperature sensors should simply be banned. His feeling is that the Grand Prix stars of today have become lazy because they are fed too much information by the, about their tires and brakes by the engineers. If you had to take that all away, it becomes a feel thing again, he said recently.
0: Okay. So again, number one, I go back to if it was so damn easy, I'd be doing Or better yet, if it was so easy, Juan Pablo Montoya would still <laughs> be doing it.
1: Well, there's a point. So we
0: start there.
1: Okay, so because this crack journalist has decided to get collaboration with a current Formula One driver, they went to Jensen Button, because when in doubt and you need a soundbite, go to Button. Yeah, well. Um, about Montoya's proposal. hmm This is what he had to say. That is how it was in the past. Nobody was giving you any temperatures, so you had to feel if you were getting too hot or not. He told, um, uh, he, he said, so Juan Pablo is right, and I would have thought we never would have had the same opinion. Okay. So that is, uh, oh, and I have one more bombshell of the story. In the Hungarian race, Mm -hmm. did you at any point get the sense that Ferrari had less screen time than any other team?
0: Um, They probably did, but I really hadn't cared about it because I was watching the rest of the race.
1: Well, apparently there was an accusation made by Gianfranco Mazzoni, a commentator for Italian television, who suggested that Bernie, of the Bad Hair Bernies, Mm -hmm. uh, who controls FOM, had arranged for that images of Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen's car be kept to a minimum during the race, and that the two Ferrari drivers ran one too much of the race, and thus should have had predominant screen time.
0: And what would he have said if... Oh, I don't know, three races earlier, the McLarens were running, running away with the race, and nobody was... Foci- oh, that's right, because nobody was focusing on them.
1: McLarens were
0: not... Or not McLarens, Mercedes.
1: If the McLarens were running yeah. one, too, they'd be focused Holy crap. Scar- no,
0: the Mercedes now, were.
1: According to Monzoni, boss Eccleston and Ferrari team boss Maurizio Bane mm-hmm.
2: are
1: having a disagreement, which... His theory, well, they are. Which his theory is led to Bernie saying, focus on the Ferraris as little as humanly possible. Now, Manzoni has suggested that the boycott was shameful and everybody should complain to FOM. So if you were did not feel that you got the sufficient amount of Ferrari time, you should complain to Bernie.
0: You know something? I would agree if they were actually racing instead of putting on a driving exhibition <laughs> up at the front.
1: So Arriva Bene has weigh, weighed in, in classic Arriva Bene style.
0: Did it involve a discussion about pizza that he likes?
1: No, oh, no. <laughs> we are not choosing food choices this time. Oh, His direct quote was, are you ready for this? Let's stop the nonsense. Okay. <laughs> And Eccleston commented that I did not notice a boycott of Ferrari. Certainly, on my part, there was nothing. I will have to calmly look at the recording again.
0: Wait, he watches old races?
1: Apparently.
0: I mean, he was at this race.
1: Does he know he was at this race?
0: That I'm not sure (laughs) of. (laughs)
1: Um, I think that that is beyond Silly Season. Um... That is my random story, period.
0: Okay, so are we ready to jump into Silly Season?
1: Silly Season it is.
0: Now, unusually, Silly Season has taken a turn. You know, normally, we are focused on Silly Season being about drivers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's been a talk that, that's kind of calmed down a little bit this past week. Um, but actually, it's about engines. Silly engine season? That That's where we are right now, is engines.
2: Okay. And
0: we haven't had a real silly season for engines in a very long time. I mean, yes, we had Williams dump Renault several years ago and Lotus dump Renault last year um, and, and shift over to the Mercedes. Actually, no. Lotus shifted this year, I believe, to the Mercedes engines They were Renault last year. But they were fairly drama-free. It was all of a sudden, boom, hey, we've done this. But this whole slap fight between <laughs> Renault and Red Bull has led to all kinds of questions as to what's going to happen.
1: Well, truly, I mean, I'm reading headlines all over the place, but the majority of them seem to say that the red, the writing is on the wall that Red Bull and Renault are headed for divorce court.
0: They are. And, and one of the questions is, is it going to be the end of this season or the end of next season? Now, technically, Red Bull has a contract with Renault through the 2016 season. But relations have gotten so bad that there is talk that this could be broken earlier. Now, one of the things that is helping to feed this talk of a divorce at the end of this season is, of all teams, Lotus. Right. Now, to back up a little... On the Lotus, originally Lotus was the Benetton team. Correct. Benetton pulled out. Lotus took it over as their works team. This is, the, or not Lotus. Um, Renault took it over as their works team. This is the team that Fernando Alonso won his titles with.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Lotus decided, for whatever reason, that F1 wasn't working for them anymore. They pull out, sell the rights to the team to Lotus. Lotus gets sick of the the engines that are being put out by uh, Renault. Possibly they see the writing on the wall. Shift over to Mercedes engines. However, we also know that Lotus isn't the best funded. They're, They're owned by currently a venture capital firm, Jenny I Capital, who as a venture capital firm is not particularly thrilled with the financial returns in Formula One and are possibly looking to unload the team
1: and who might be a willing buyer for a lotus formerly renault formerly benetton team
0: well one of the rumors that has come out and i have heard this two different ways but one of the rumors has come out that said that renault has gotten approval they've proposed and gotten approval from the board to acquire the Lotus team. Hmm. Now figure that out because Lotus is running Mercedes engines. They have a contract from Mercedes for Mercedes to supply those engines for I believe it's another 2 years. So if Red Bull or if, if Renault is going to come over and take over that team they're not really gonna be all that interested in running Mercedes engines. So this is where it has now been tossed out that Mercedes would find it acceptable. And I believe they've actually gotten a quote from, I think Mercedes, or Autosport has gotten a quote from Mercedes that said that they would find it acceptable that in exchange for giving up the supply contract to uh, Lotus, that instead they take over the supply contract to Red Bull.
1: Well, it gets even more interesting than that. Because yes, in fact, I can corrobor- collaborate, corroborate. corroborate that Mercedes would be okay supplying Red Bull's team. Mm-hmm. Red Bull has also reached out with the possibility of taking Ferrari engines.
0: Yes. Now, this is not the first time that Red Bull has run Ferrari engines. And in the lead up to this, and I didn't realize that this was why this played out the way it did originally up until what was it three years ago Toro Rosso ran Ferrari engines Mm. the reason for that was a very similar deal Red Bull found a way to get out of what they felt at the time and arguably so given the success that they had were dogs that Ferrari was handing them and shift over to Renault in exchange for that they went and shifted the supply contract for the Ferrari engines over to Toro Rosso ah. and Toro Rosso ran got those engines from Ferrari until that contract ran out
1: well here's the thing Ferrari's a uh, supply contract offers up that they will allow people to take their engines but it is one spec series behind their works team Mercedes supplies the same engine as their works team
0: now is that is that only for a a takeover contract or is that in general
1: that what i read was that that was the way ferrari supplies engines
0: if that's the case why does anybody run ferrari engines because Because that guarantees to you that you will never do better than ferrari
1: well, yes and no. You're
0: running an engine that is down on power, that is down on improvements, that is down on development because Ferrari has given themselves an advantage over you.
1: Well, well then that... why
0: pay them for an engine?
1: Well, okay, yes, they, you're taking a disadvantaged engine, but you and I both know that the maths in such a situation is that the engine is really only one part of the equation. It is. You know, it is entirely possible that you can make up a one, st- and it's one step. It's not like it's a generation, behind. it's the one step. But it's one development cycle behind.
0: And how often in the years that we have been watching F1, how often has a customer car beaten a Ferrari Works car?
1: Oh, it wouldn't, would not
0: my point exactly. Now, it has happened a few times. Um, When Nico Hulkenberg was driving for Sauber, he did it a few times. He did it in Korea and that shocked everybody because all of a sudden we saw performance out of that Sauber that we hadn't seen like ever. But, even still, you are guaranteeing yourself that you will always be playing second fiddle to the works team. No matter what you do. How does that make sense? It
1: doesn't. But, would you like to hear how Toto Wolff sums that little conundrum okay. up? So, he's talking about how Mercedes would be willing to supply Red Bull. Mm-hmm. He says, actually, one should not help to make one's opponents stronger, Mercedes Chief Toto Wolff told German's Germany's Sport Build. But we need to find a balance between pure egotism and the welfare of the championship. Of course we know it is important to have a healthy and exciting platform, as victories are always more valuable when they are against strong competition. As a team, we are first and foremost geared to seek our advantages and win the championship. But as participants, we also have the responsibilities to see the series as a whole. Yeah. So, that is that piece of the uh, the uh, engine silly season. So I think it is now time that we bring in our junior correspondent to discuss another engine issue that is going on.
2: Okay. McLaren says that on the BBC website, they said that McLaren is struggling with, um, like, the beginning with Honda, coming back, was basically probably the end.
0: Well, oh, this was what? James Allen said this on his website.
2: Mm-hmm. And it was the end of what? Probably the end of um, them going to be using um Honda. So he thinks that they will drop Honda after just one year?
1: What? Or will they just write out the contract? Maybe write out the contract. Now, in your Semi-professional junior correspondent opinion. Yeah. Do you think that McLaren made a mistake by going to
2: Honda? Yeah, because last year they did okay compared to the other teams, but they, did, they didn't they did do good, and they didn't do bad. They did okay. This year they're doing horrible.
1: Now, do you think that's going to be turning around now that Alonso and Button were both in the points and the Hungarian... Grand Prix.
2: It may turn around, but if I were M- McLaren, I would say probably at the end of um, this year, I probably would switch back to a to a different engine supplier.
1: Well, there you have it, folks. Our junior correspondent is recommending to McLaren that they change engines. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Now we do have one driver silly season. Announcement that is a rumor.
0: It is a big rumor. And I'm not completely sure I believe it. Um, But yes. Do you want to throw this out or you want me to do it?
1: I will throw it out. Okay. It has been rumored that adorable pundit and David Cothard's go-to guy for gridwalk, Jensen Button, might leave formula one not to race in another series but to be part of the top gear television phenomenon
0: yeah the, the story claims now to be clear because i i think this is kind of key as to where this whole thing fits in and, and some of the credibility of this rumor. the story came out the day before it may have been two days before Amazon had announced that the original three from Top Gear, Parks and Hammond and May, had been signed on to do an instant or, or to take their show along with uh, Andy Wilman over to Amazon Prime Instant Video, with filming to start in the fall of this year. The Top Gear announcement, the the rumored Top Gear announcement that, that we have seen says that an announcement is imminent. Again, this was two days before the Amazon announcement. So I'm kind of wondering if there's some signals that have been crossed and something through this, somebody threw this out that, oh yeah, Jen- Chris Evans has decided he wants Jensen to come over and a Top Gear announcement is imminent, as in a Clarkson, Hammond, May announcement. I don't know. Now the other thing that is kind of unclear... And not too many people have picked up on this.
1: Okay.
0: The Clarkson Hammond May announcement came out on Prime UK. Right. It only came out on Prime UK. Okay. No similar announcement was made on Prime US.
1: So do you think it's a UK only deal?
0: That's what I got to kind of wonder. Now, I have heard that the uh, Wall Street Journal claimed that this is a global distribution deal. Okay. But unfortunately, I don't have access to the Wall Street Journal to confirm this.
1: Mm.
0: Um, you know, it's, it, they've got a paywall, and I'm not willing to pay the Wall Street Journal for one story. But they're the only ones who have said that this is a global distribution deal. Interesting. So i got to kind of wonder as to how that's going to work. But uh, on that bombshell of the possibility... <laughs> That Jensen, which I think could be cool if it's but I don't I, I, I don't believe it.
1: Well On my, that show. My question ultimately would be, would we have top gear where Jensen just interviews David Cothard all the time?
0: Well you gotta think Cothard would be a regular guest. But I would think that they could time the shooting schedule that Jensen could still drive if he wanted to.
1: Well, he might in a different series. I think it's time for him to retire.
0: It might be. That'd be a shame. Unless we could see him as a broadcaster. Right. But on that note, as a reminder, we need some reviews over on iTunes. We have seen the subscriber number. I don't know why. I I appreciate (laughs) it. Don't
1: complain. Do not complain. But we
0: have seen the subscriber numbers shoot up these past two weeks. So please, go check us out over on Facebook and like us there where you can see uh, Daniel Ricciardo and and his dropped trophy from Hungary. (laughs) Definitely worth a view.
1: Possibly tell us why you like us and you've started subscribing.
0: Or why you don't like us, you know. That works too. We, we might actually listen and change something, but I, I won't hold my breath
2: on that. <laughs> you know,
0: we, we we are kind of stuck in our ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, find us over there. Find us over on Stitcher. and Or you can leave a comment over on the actual web webpage at uh, theblokeandabird.com. Yes. But... Uh, On that note, I think we will call it a show.